Matthew chapter 1. Yeah, Pastor Neil already preached it in his devotion this morning. Just get used to it. If you ever just want to see a prelude to the message on Sunday morning, just read his devotion. It usually happens that way. <clears throat> and then put a finger over in Romans chapter 6, and we'll go there at the, toward the end of the message. Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, says, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. But Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah, the virgin will be with child, and he will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It is at Christmas time that we celebrate the birth of Jesus. God became man and dwelt among us. But we must never forget that Jesus was born to die. Not just for us, but as us. In our place. That his life would swallow death, sin, the curse. Redeem us from all wickedness, from all unrighteousness, from all sin. And reconcile us, bring us back into perfect relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. But what good is his sacrifice, his blood, if you continue to wrestle with your own sin, live your own life, and do your own thing? Without receiving, applying, and living out what Jesus died for us to have, what is it really about? His birth, his sacrifice, was not for us to just add to our life. It was to transform our life, exchange our life for his life. And transformation is what this whole series has been about. The series that we're into, or this, this wraps it up, today we'll wrap it up, was the from my favorite, favorite movie, Christmas movie, which is A Christmas Carol. And it, this series has been called A Spirit-Filled Christmas Carol. And like I said, it's all about that transformation, why he came. Why did God have to be born? Why did God have to come and be us? Why did God have to come to die? What was the purpose? It's all about that transformed life. God so loved the world that he gave. It was Charles Dickens that wrote the Christmas Carol, and as he stated in his preface, his intention was to haunt us pleasantly. As a self-proclaimed Christian author, Dickens hoped that everyone who read his book would undergo the same life transformation that his beloved Scrooge did. In Ephesians 4, we are commanded to throw off your old sinful nature, your old former life. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. A life transformation. And our main point throughout this series is, has been, without a life transformation, the best this world, your life on earth, has to offer is just a chasing after the wind. It's vain pursuits. It's trying to scoop up the ocean in your hand.
in the Christmas carol, Scrooge was taken through these three scenes, these three points in his life, his past, his present, and his future. Why? To show him so he can discover that what he was chasing after wasn't anything more than just chasing after the wind. Vain pursuits. All the wealth that he was accumulating wasn't going to do him any good on his deathbed. It wasn't going to do him any good as he stood before the judgment seat of Christ. It wasn't going to do him any good. He needed a life transformation. The first spirit took him back to his past and showed him two scenes, a scene in his schoolroom and the scene in, in a park, on a park bench. And the schoolroom scene where events happened beyond his control that crippled him and his ability to trust and love and even to be loved. And then the spirit took him to the park bench where it was his last hope for love and it was lost because of his own wrong choices. See, it was choices that he made from this distorted perspective. We learned when we studied his past that things happen to us in our past that mar, warp, and even cripple us in our behavior, in our future, and can change the way that we even see our hopes and our dreams and those around us. God wants to take us back to these scenes, these times, these things that have happened in our past. And he points out what went wrong, the error, what happened. He tells us the truth of the lie that we've believed for so long. He heals our past wounds and sets us free to live this life that God intended for us. For a life transformation to begin to happen, we first must give God our past. And I shared with you that God had given me that word. That he stands at that point in our past, almost like Scrooge in his schoolroom. He stands by that desk waiting, saying, this is the point that you went from here on believing a lie. And he stands there as a gentleman gardener, if it will, at that point of that wicked root to all this bitterness and all this warped and crippled behavior that we've lived out and says, I'll cut this away, but as a gentleman, I'll wait for your permission. We have to give him permission to cut it away. But what happens so often is that something happens in our past... Whether we, we did it or somebody else did it. And we take ownership of it and we hang on to it. And if it's somebody else that did it to us, it's because we want them to pay for it, don't we? Can't let them get off. Do you understand what they did? Or if it's our own choices, uh, I'm not worthy <laughs> Of that forgiveness. Oh, there's, you know, I want to receive forgiveness. I want to receive this abundant life. I want to receive this great future and this hope and all the promises of God. But I'm going to hold on to this horrible, wretched man that I was. And God, and, and then everything we see from then on is distorted. Our perspective is not right. We withhold love from certain people. We withhold our ability to receive love from certain people when we've been living this life that's crippled, if you will. And he stands there at that point of whatever it was, your choice or somebody else's choice, and says, I can cut this away. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I can speak the truth that will not only curse the lie, but remove the lie. But we have to give him our past. And when we give God our past, he can rewrite our future. And then he was taken, Scrooge was taken to his present. says, Scrooge was then confronted with the actions of his present day in a huge room packed full of all the festivities surrounding Christmas. And sitting upon it all was the spirit 
full of joy and laughter, he proclaims to the timid Scrooge the invitation. <laughs> Maybe I should have, you know, cued a couple people to, you know, really blurt that one out. That's right. Come in and know me better, man, right? Come on, where's a little bit more, you know, coffee in your veins this morning? Come in and know me better, man. And then, then the, we talked about that there was four important points when Scrooge was led through his present day. That the, that the need for his transformation was made obvious. And the first thing he said was to come in and know me better, man. Come in and know me better, man. And Revelations, and I've told you this a hundred times, I'll tell you a thousand more times before Jesus takes me away. In Revelations, the scripture says that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. But in the context of that scripture, he's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to believers. And see, where it happens, I don't know. When it happens, it happens differently for everyone. But at some point in our Christian walk, in our Christian life, and I hope it not be for everyone, I hope it never happens for you. If it has, you know, and you're like, yeah, that was me. But sometimes we get caught up in uh, life. Like, you know, the hamster on the wheel. And, you know, we wake up, eat breakfast, go to work, come home, you know, make dinner, you know, sit down, eh, fall asleep in our chair, go to bed, wake up, eat breakfast, go to work, blah, 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 blah. Right? And then it's like, oh yeah, and then there's Sunday, there's church. Come on, hurry up, let's get to church, you know. And anyway, we end up going through these routines, or maybe, you know, whatever it is. Maybe you're good about opening your Bible every morning, reading and praying, but, you know, it seems like it's just become a big checkbox. Did I do this? Yep. Did I do that? Yep. Went to church? Yep. Did this? Yep. Paid tithes? Yep. Gave my offering? Yep. But he's calling us to come in and know him better. And in Revelations, when he says, I stand at the door and knock, is a very vivid picture that at some point in our life, we've pushed God out of our house and shut the door. Yeah, it's like, he, what, what, you know, he... When we welcome him in, and you know, um, the two guys um, that just gave their hearts to the Lord just a couple weeks ago, I told them, I do not lead people to the Lord in a casual way. I want them to know the seriousness of the decision you're making. Because we want the forgiveness quickly. Give me the get out of hell free card so I can put it in my pocket and go about and do my own thing. But that's not it. When we ask him to be our Savior and our Lord, that word Lord means the supreme ruler of not just my heart, my thoughts, my mind, my passions, but it says of my strength too. So of everything I have, everything I own, everything I'll dream about, Everything I was, everything I am, everything I will be, you are Lord of, supreme ruler of. And if there is one throne in your heart, he alone sits upon it. That's what it means for him to be our Lord. And yet in Revelations it says at some point we removed him from the throne and actually shuffled him right out the door and shut the door. But he doesn't go away with his tail between his legs. Oh, there they did it again. Says he stands at the door and continues to knock. If you, and he said, if you open the door and let me back in, I will come in. We will come in. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit will come in. Sit down with you at your table. That's personal. Sit down and eat with you. 
fellowship with you. That coin, it's not just the koinonia, the fellowship, the friendship fellowship, but it's the fellowship that I've told you about, that face-to-face intimacy fellowship is what he wants with us. And so when he's, his invitation is to come in and know me better, man, it's an everyday invitation, come in. Come in deeper, come in deeper, come in deeper. He said, when you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. You are only as close to God as you want to be. It's not him. It's you. Come in and know me better. Scrooge pointed out at the spirit that he wore a scabbard with no sword. And the spirit looks down surprised at his scabbard, looks in there, his swordless scabbard, and says, Ah, oh, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Well, does that sound familiar? See, angels that sung that out the night Jesus was born. Peace on earth, goodwill to all men. Peace. Peace is part of the kingdom. We, we just preached about that through that series. That righteousness, peace, and joy. It's his peace that marks us different in this world. When people are going through storms, when you're going through storms, when crisis is happening, impeachments are, you know, rumored around, or whatever. Wars, rumors of wars, and, you know, cities, and whatever. All this stuff. It's his peace. Peace in you that marks you different than the world. How you respond, what you say, and what you do. When we went through that series on the kingdom, I told you that it says the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. That it's the peace of God that's the armor that you wear on the inside. Guards your mind and it guards your heart. His peace marks us, and it passes all understanding. I love it when somebody asks me, well, how can you have peace when all this is happening? I don't. But when I gave my life to him, he gave me his life, and his life is peace. It's in me because he's in me. It's his peace. And remember, we talked about that, I think, last week or a couple weeks ago. That it, what, they couldn't have peace in the storm until they had Jesus in the storm. Jesus was in the boat with them. There wasn't three men in the fire. There was four in the fire. Daniel wasn't alone in the lion's den. Jesus said, wherever you go, I'll be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never abandon you. So we can have peace in the storm when he's with us in the storm, unless you done pushed him out of the door and shut the door. If he's still knocking on the door and you have chaos within your house and tornado going through and you're like, why, where's God? He's like, hello. We are to also, it says peace and and goodwill to all men. The word goodwill doesn't just mean a fond uh, feeling about somebody. Oh, I have goodwill toward you, Neil. You know? It, it actually means it has to be both. It has to be the fond, heartfelt emotion for the individual, but it has to have action behind it. Sounds like James chapter 2, right? My favorite, one of my favorite books in the Bible. It goes over and over and over again about faith without deeds is dead. It's useless. It's no good. Just like the body without the spirit is dead, so is faith without deeds. It's dead, useless. It does no good. You can't say you have goodwill to all men and withhold goodness from men. You can't just say, oh, peace, be well, be well fed, and, not, and have something that you can give them to help them. I'll get off that horse real fast. I'm not going to go there. <clears throat> the third point he said is, if the shadows remain unaltered. If the shadows remain unaltered. By the future, sorry, if the shadows remain unaltered by the future. 
serving the Lord is not a, I made the decision on this one day and I'm good to go the rest of my day. It's an everyday, like I was saying, if he is truly the supreme Lord of your life, the ruler, the one who sits on the throne, he's not the a co-pilot. And somebody, was that you, Dad, that put that on? After I preached that message, I got a keychain thrown on my desk that says God is my co-pilot. I just laughed. He is not your co-pilot. If he's a co-pilot, you're in the wrong seat. Because if he's the Lord of your life, who should be at the steering wheel? Hello! Is that so hard to understand? He should be the one at the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. No, stop it. He should be the one at the wheel. Why? Because can you get there any better than he can get you there? No, come on. He has, in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, God says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you hope and a future, right? Not to harm you, to prosper you. But let's not forget that God sits upon time. He sees the past, the present, and the future all in one continuous picture, if you will. So he, when the, before it even says, even before we took our first breath, he already had this beautiful thread of your life mapped out for you and the people you were going to touch and what you were going to do, all the way to the culmination of him saying, well done, thy good and faithful servant, enter in. Right? But with that love, he gives us our free will to choose so as we're growing up, all of a sudden, you know, it's, well, I feel like, and I want to, and did God, and do I have to, and, and now all of a sudden we're making these choices, but he sets upon time, and he can see it all. And so if we continue to get our butts out of the driver's seat and keep him in the driver's seat, he can go ahead and keep steering. Well, we might have to take a detour here. It's okay. I know how to, as as the, I want to say Siri all the time, because it's Siri that talks to me. Siri says, rerouting, rerouting. I always feel like they're a, you know, dollar short and a day late, you know, every time I'm, you know, into, you know, the thick of heavy traffic, and I'm like, come on, give me some instructions, you know, do I take this exit? I'm clear over here, uh, flowing with traffic on this left lane, flowing with traffic. And all of a sudden it says, take this exit. Well, hello. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, I'm just going to, because what, what will I hear? Rerouting. Rerouting. There's no road you've traveled or choices you've made that can keep you from God's forgiveness and his plan for your life. But you got to keep him in the driver's seat. And then the fourth point in his present, he showed them the children he called ignorance and want. Too many people are either satisfied with ignorance or pleasure suckers always wanting more. Both are leeches with unending appetites. The Spirit warned, beware them both and all of their degree, but most of all, beware this boy ignorance. For on his forehead I see that written which is doom, unless the writing be erased. See, want is just a pretty way of saying greed. It's wanting more what matters less. And it could be any good thing. can be your spouse. It can be your children. It can be your career. It can be your house. It can be any good thing. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's just wanting more what matters less. Ignorance. A nice way of just saying pride. Ignorance means to continue to ignore, and in context here we're talking about God, continuing to ignore God. In our ignorance, we boast that we have provided for ourselves, we have acquired this or that, and we certainly don't need to do this or that. 
I mean, come on, did God really say that? Who does that sound like? Mm -hmm. Ignorance, continuing to ignore God, will mark your forehead for doom. Unless this writing be erased by God's forgiveness. He's mapped out everything we need for life. Everything in his word. Everything's in here. Gentle, simple instructions. And if the devil can't keep you from opening this, he'll try to confuse you and complicate it. And he'll take what is so stinking simple and try to, well, you know, you can't and you have to and then you have to and your head starts spinning and all of a sudden you feel like you're incapable of living this life that God calls Christian. And it's not true. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, real simple, deny self. Pick up your cross and follow me. That's it. There, there's nothing complicated. Well, what does that mean? Deny self. Deny. Well, let me tell you, we're coming up on the week of prayer and fasting. I will show you what it means to deny self. You come live with me for a little while during the week of prayer and fasting, which, by the way, um, I... I would demand more if I could, if I knew you would, and do it with a heart. Um, we're coming into a year, and that's our time to lay down. One week seems minimal. Um, Forty days seems a little bit better. Anyway, but denying self, you know, I want that... I want that Twinkie, I'll say no to that Twinkie, you know? I want those two iced coffees lined up for me every Sunday morning. I'd say no. I didn't throw that one out there for you, Brian. I, didn't you know how to deny yourself? Do you like to do it? Nope. Deny self. Pick up your cross. Well, what does that mean to pick up my cross? Crucify the flesh. Crucify the flesh. Well, how often do I have to do that? He said, pick up your cross and follow me. Sounds like every day. Sounds like all the time. Why? I don't know about you, but my flesh raises up more than just once a day. And I had to nail that sucker back to the cross again. You're dead. I, I get, again, I'm a picture person. When my flesh starts coming up and I can feel it coming up and I want to, I see myself stomping on that grave of that old man. You're dead, you're buried, you're not crawling. I mean, oh, I shouldn't do this at Christmas time. But the zombie apocalypse is already here. Because there's a bunch of your dead bodies that keep trying to crawl out of the grave where they're supposed to stay, and they're eating you for lunch. And you're letting them. Maybe we should have some zombie training and put up some big billboards out there, you know, zombie apocalypse training in here. You know, wouldn't that bring them in? You know? But you all got to be living it first. And you're letting your dead man eat you up. Deny your flesh. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. If you can't see Jesus doing it, saying it, thinking it, believing it, you shouldn't be either, period. Pretty simple. And then he took him to his future. And as Scrooge knelt there in front of his tombstone, bearing his gloomy fate, he asked the spirit, are these the shadows of the things that will be? Or are these the shadows of things that may be? And without waiting for an answer, Scrooge exclaimed, I can change these shadows by an altered life. 
In order to experience a life transformation, it cannot be just a declaration of a changed life. It must be proved in your actions by an altered life. And at the conclusion of the Christmas Carol, Bob Cratchit defines Scrooge's transformation in these three statements. He said, Scrooge did all he said he would and more. The whole city knew of his change. And the third, he continued to keep Christmas well all his years. And that's the question we need to ask ourselves. Would your neighbors, the people in your city, village, town, township, whatever they call Calava, I don't know, would they know you're a Christian just by your actions alone? Would your people at work, people in the grocery store, people in the mall where you hang out, would they know you're a Christian by your actions? The message translation says in 1 John 2, 4 through 6, it reads, in, If someone claims I know him well, but doesn't keep his commandments, he's obviously a liar. Because his life doesn't match his words. But the one who keeps God's word is the person in whom we see God's mature love. This is the only way to be sure we are in God. Anyone who claims to be intimate with God ought to live the same kind of life Jesus lived. See, we are no good to the world if we are more concerned about being like them than we are about being like him. I talked in more detail in this last week that you can't help somebody out of a pit by climbing into the pit with them. The scripture that Paul said, I become all things to all men so I can win all, is not permission for you to go and get drunk so you can reach the drunkards. You're just climbing down in the pit with them. How are you going to get out? I shared a testimony last week about the girl named Dacquery that pointed her finger at me in the youth facility and smelt smoke on me and said, you can't preach freedom to me if you're not living a free life yourself. And shut her ears right to it. You can't help others if you're just like them. Would they know that you are a Christian by your actions alone? It says that he continued to keep Christmas well all through his years. The phrase he continued means just that. He continued. He didn't do good one day and well, we'll just write off the next six. You know, he didn't do well on Sunday, be a businessman Monday through Friday, and then on Saturday, well, that's his free day as Weight Watchers call it, right? You can do whatever you want to do on that day. <laughs> You don't want to see me if you give me permission to do that. Be like chocolate all over the place. Be like chocolate bath, you know. Chocolate fountain, I'll be drinking chocolate free day. They don't know what I could do on a free day. Give me no free day. He continued in uh, James chapter 1, and I, I know I preached on this. But it said to consider it pure joy, brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Because in the testing of your faith, it develops perseverance. And then it says perseverance must finish her work in you. Why? So you'll be mature, complete, not lacking any good thing. Mature, complete, not lacking any good thing. I don't know about you, but that could sum up the whole Bible for me right there. I would like to not be lacking in any good thing. Right? Does anybody feel like they're lacking in a good thing right now? Anybody? You're lacking a good thing. couple honest people, good. Those good things will be delivered over here to you because you were honest, all right? Go ahead and take them, the gifts that Amy was talking about coming down. <clears throat> Perseverance. 
is the key. And if you look at the word perseverance, it breaks down to say how you, how you go through severe times is what perseverance is. Not just that you went through it, but how you went through it. It's like driving through one of those obstacle courses. They say, here's the start, here's the finish, and you've got to go around this, this, this. You've got to go through that. You've got to go up here. Go, go. Well, you can start at you know, the start line and just nail it and go right through and get to the finish. There, I went through. Uh, no, honey, you did not. You know, there, there was a way you were to go through that. That's perseverance, the way you go through it. Why? Because if we don't let perseverance develop and have her finished work in us, we won't look any different than the world. When those troubles and those hardships come upon us, how do you look any different than the world if you don't have that peace and perseverance? How you go through them. Then he said, I've got my own theme music now. <laughs> then when you go through them with that, with that peace and that perseverance, then he says, you're going to be mature, you're going to be complete, you're going to be lacking no good thing. So when you're going through something and you feel, and you know it, you feel it. You feel, I'm missing something. I can feel this trial and this test. And I've, you know, I took off great from the start line, but uh, I'm running over a few of those cones along the way. Um, go ahead and just get on your knees quickly and say, can we start this again, God? And he has an automatic reset button. Boom. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Why? Because I don't want to be lacking any good thing any longer. I don't want to be the, you know, little mouse in the maze just trying to sniff out the cheese. I want the cheese to come to me. Right? It's about time for the cheese to come to me. God did not leave anything undone when he redeemed you. There isn't a part of your past, your present, or your future that the blood of Jesus cannot wash white as snow. But you must surrender your life for his life. Amy, would you come back up? I want to close with reading. I know I've read it before, Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> but I love this scripture because it shows you the pure, simple distinction between the dead man, the old man, and the new man. Romans chapter 6. Beginning in verse 1. says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If... We have been united with him like this in his death. We will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. Dead, buried, gone that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin 
once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master. Because you are not under law, but under grace. <clears throat> but a grace that doesn't teach you to deny self, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus is a distorted grace. It, it, it's a deceptive, it's not grace at all. It's a lie from the enemy. Because it's in Titus 2 that it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It, what? Grace. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, there it is, denying self, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Good. Redeemed. Purified. None of that is from your old life. If you bring anything from your old life to your new life, you're being deceived. And it's a lie. And it will, it will, it is a thief. And it will steal, kill, and it will ultimately end up destroying you. And you think, oh, how can this one little thing, it's just a little, and I only do it a little, and I only watch it a little, and it's not really. You've opened the door, and that old man will come back in. Why? Because you're pushing out the one that used to sit on your throne and you're opening your life up and your heart up to death again. And life can swallow up death. But Jesus also said that in me is no sin, no darkness can't have any part of me. So if you're putting it in, he's got to step away from it. Because in him is no sin, no darkness. When we surrender our life to Jesus, we are dead and buried with him. And then the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now will raise you up to new life. And by his spirit, we can walk right, right, and right standing before him, with him, seated in heavenly realms, right beside Jesus and as him, as Christ's ambassadors to the world. That as he is now, so are we in this world. That wherever we go, we carry his kingdom, we carry his presence, we carry his peace, we carry his love, we carry his message of reconciliation for the world. <clears throat> Would you stand? like to be able to sit down with every one of you and take the time to show you how extremely important it is to choose this day, to choose this minute, to choose this hour. Every day, every minute, every hour, today I choose you. And God, if I just chose wrong, forgive me quickly and help me choose right again. 
when I try to sneak in and sneak over the, the council and into the driver's seat and take the wheel again, forgive me quickly. See, it's a choosing. It's a continually checking, checking, check the gauges. You know, I'm sure um, James, if he's here today, I didn't see him, Messersmith. Um, oh, the other James, hey, that's James. Oh, he is here? I'm sure he could come up and tell. Oh, there you are. I see you. Um, all the technical terms as a pilot that these gauges that they have to put on there. Why? Because you can't even trust your own feelings at times. They'll lie to you. And I, I learned that there's even the, the important gauge, they, they put two of them on there. Why? Because you're, you might not even believe one, but if two are saying exactly the same thing, you can't trust what you're feeling. You have to go by the gauges. That we have to constantly be checking ourselves. And it's not a, I did it once 50 years ago, and you know, I'll find out when I stand before God. That's too late. You don't want to find out then. That you've been living a lie or living, a, a, you know, something from your past that's crippled you this whole time. Or a belief that you thought was right about God, but, you know, it wasn't. Well, because I just felt like it was right. It's okay. Did God really say I have to do this? Is he really asking me to give up this? I mean, how bad could that be? Is that where you want to live? See, a transformed life that we're talking about is an exchange of. But it's no longer my life I live anymore, as Paul said. You know? It's, I consider everything rubbish. It's nothing I have anymore that could compare to him living in me. As me. So if I could show you, shake you, it across your forehead or maybe your spouse's forehead so you would really see it all the time how important it is to check your gauges check yourself check yourself check yourself and remember it's not he said it's foolish to compare yourself with other people don't say well at least I'm you know I'm better than you know Aaron He says we are supposed to look at ourselves in the face of Jesus as little Christ Christians means as little Christ how are we reflecting him how are we living as him how do we look as him he's the standard so checking our gauges all the time is lining our heart up lining our mind up lining our mouth up Lining our actions up with Jesus. How are we doing? So with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I want to give this invitation. Um, always, if you want to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you've never done that, or this is a time I've been running too far, I need to come back, and today's your day, you want us to pray with you and make today your reborn day, would you just raise your hand so I can see you, and I'll pray with you at the close, up at the altar. Alright, well then I'm going to assume that you're all saved, you're all heading to heaven. Uh, I really want to pray over you and I want you to spend time before you rush out again. That you use this message, would, like Charles Dickens said, would continue to haunt you pleasantly. Every day am I living the transformed life. And I actually laid it down here. Here's a test to see for the Christian if you're living a transformed life or not. Let me ask. When you're asked to pray for someone or teach someone something, do you feel ill-equipped? Like you're not in a good place? You're not prepared, not ready, not worthy? If those thoughts flood you and keep you from doing that, you're not living a transformed life because it's more about you than it is about him. When what you do depends on your ability, your skill,
skills, your preparedness, all that stuff. It's all about you and not about him. Do I ever feel prepared? No. Do I ever feel worthy? No. I simply remind me of his word that he in me, he in me. It's God in me. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. He said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. He said, don't worry about what you're going to say. I'll give you the words to say. You know, all those, I just remind myself of all he said before. Because it's about him and not about me. Transform life is dead to me. Deny me. Pick up the cross and follow him. So, Father, we just thank you, God, for your word through this series. God, your word is just so simple. And I love pictures and I love movies and I love stories and parables where you can paint such an amazing illustration of your word that we can not only hear it, but, God, we can see it. I love that about you. And man, your, your heavens and the universe and, and the earth all declare your glory and this display of your glory. And I thank you for everything. For your word is alive, living. It's food for my soul and my spirit. And it even quickens this body, this flesh that you've given me as a, as a shell. I can speak your words to my flesh that can give it strength. And even when we go through things we can't understand, storms, trials, we'll mark them all as testings of our faith and, and we'll just consider them and we'll go through them with joy. Knowing God that this perseverance needs to be developed in us. So we'll be mature, complete, not lacking anything. So God, at any time you need to tap us on the shoulder, slow us down, and, and reset the test, we're here. We're willing. And we're yielded to you. Have your way, have your way, have your way. Because your ways are better. Your ways are better than our ways. Your plans are better even than what we could plan for. Your dreams are far greater than anything we could dream. And we just yield to you right now. Saying thank you. Jesus, if we've shut the door on you our door right now to our heart bring you back in as a supreme Lord of our life worship you God God with us Emmanuel Jesus Jesus Jesus